and he's like, dude, you're never gonna, you're never gonna beat me. Like I'm, like I'm literally so far ahead now. It's, it's impossible. And I remember just going, you know what? I'm not sleeping until I work this out. Hello and welcome everyone to the Balthazar NFT Gaming Podcast. The voice you just heard was a clip from today's guest, Kieran Warwick, one of the founders of Alluvium. Now, if for some reason you don't know what Alluvium is, you can jump over to our website to read our fully researched review or watch the video recap I did of our report. But today's episode of this podcast is to listen to Kieran with some of the follow-up questions that we had while doing that report. So stay tuned for some great insights into Alluvium from one of the founders himself. Hello and welcome, Kieran, to the Balthasar NFT Gaming Podcast. I am very hyped to have you here, uh, obviously from the game Alluvium. And I don't think we need to waste much time here telling people what Alluvium is. If you don't know what Alluvium is, you've probably been living under a rock in the NFT gaming space. Obviously, you guys are leading the charge in a lot of ways in this space. So rather than uh, taking the time to explain the game, Kieran, just welcome. And I would love to hear, first of all, just the story of how did you find out about NFT gaming, play to earn, whatever you want to call it. And why did you and the, the Warwick family decide to start your own game? Yeah, firstly, thanks for having me on. You guys are, are awesome. I'm a big fan of Fred myself. So uh yeah, and we've also got a few little things in the works with with you guys potentially. So, yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, in terms of how I found crypto gaming, it's a pretty funny story. Basically, I'm very, very competitive, and uh, so are my three other brothers. Uh, Kane is our eldest brother, and he runs Synthetics Protocol, and one day we were in the car and I, I was in crypto back in 2016 and I was trading ETH, got wrecked on it somehow. I don't like it was eight bucks or something and I lost some money. I don't you know how that's even possible. Is, <laughs> Haven't we is all? Beyond me. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so I got wrecked and I was a little bit hurt and I was like, you know what? Screw crypto. I'm out of here. And I started a food tech startup. Then it was back in early 2020. And I was in the car with Kane, and he just convinced me to start trading again. And I started getting really confident, and I'd made a whole bunch of money. And then he he basically said, uh, we, he was like, I, I said, I, I really want to start a project of my own. And I think at that point, I was thinking some sort of uh, a project to do with trading, maybe potentially even becoming a VC or something like that. And the reasoning was, I, I said, you know, I want to catch you, you know, in your in your net worth. And he was like, dude, this is like peak bull run. SNX is just starting to go crazy. And he, and he said one thing right before he dropped me off. We used to live like right next to each other. And he's like, dude, you're never gonna, you're never gonna beat me. Like I'm, like I'm literally so far ahead now. It's, it's impossible. And I remember just going, you know what? I'm not sleeping until I work this out. Until I find a project. Until I find something that can have the same amount of traction as what Synthetics did. 
And so it wasn't that day, and I definitely slept a few nights before uh, stumbling upon crypto gaming. But I, it was uh, Axie that I first found, and I just it NFTs were not massive back then. GameFi didn't exist, and it was just this this crypto game that I looked at, and it was not. It, the quality of the game or the graphics or the gameplay like it, it was the it was the verifiable ownership that the game gave players where you could literally buy these assets and own them and then potentially sell them at a later date that was what made me think well if these games i, I think actually at that point had like a Ten million market cap, like which it's it's almost insane to to say, but I thought you know if if that's the case, I've got two brothers. One of them is one of the best CGI modelers in the world, and I thought okay, he could definitely do the graphics uh, with it with a game, even though he's never made a game before. And then we have this other brother who's super, super smart and loves gaming, right? Like like to the point, like we all love gaming, but he like really, really loves gaming and designing games. And so it was this process where basically I, I went to Grant and it took me like two weeks to convince him. And once I convinced him, I then went to Aaron and that was a whole nother thing where we wanted to build one genre, he wanted to build another genre. And uh, in the end, we just agreed to Aaron basically said, just leave it with me. I will design a game that we're all happy with and let's do it. Let's jump in. Awesome. I love that. Nothing like a little sibling rival, you know, rivalry to get you started and get inspired there. Uh, great yeah, story. There's, there's yeah. definitely that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of the gaming genre, I'm curious to hear your point of view because I've seen this trend and specifically in Web3 gaming where it seems like a lot of Web3 games are starting now to take multiple game genres and try to blend them into one game or one project overall. Obviously with Alluvium, you guys are doing that. You got your overworld, you got your you know auto battler, and then you have the mobile game experience for resources as well. So I'm curious in your point of view, is this a kind of a, a continued trend that you see? Do you guys see yourself on the forefront uh, forefront of maybe this is what, what the future of gaming is, a blend of all these genres? Or do you think that's more of just a specific Web3 thing? So so we've coined it out uh, a, a new genre. We're calling it an IBG, which is essentially an interoperable blockchain game. And we're the first AAA IBG that's that's out there. And so all of our games in our universe are AAA. And so essentially what that means is really, really high quality graphics, great game design, a lot of substance, a lot of immersion behind it. And yeah, as you say, it's it's this new paradigm of, of gaming where instead of needing to buy multiple games in a franchise, for example, you know, Mario, you got Mario Party, you got Mario Kart, you got Super Smash Brothers, that it's it's that same concept, except using the blockchain to underpin it and allow us to use the same assets across all of the different games. It's almost like this Web3 space is specifically designed 
to allow that and to make a bigger immersion, as you said, rather than, hey, this is just the one game that we have. And next time a game comes out, guess what? You also have to fork up that 60 bucks, right? Yeah. Old model. Sweet. Well, I, I want to hear from you. I, I'm very curious as one of the top leading NFT gaming projects. And maybe you can argue there's a couple others there that are just as big as you guys. But as far as I'm aware, your community is probably the largest out there, at least top five. So I, I'm curious from your point of view, being in charge of Alluvium and, and having this huge community and following. Do you feel this extra weight? Do you feel this extra pressure of, hey, you know, maybe we weren't the first NFT game here ever. Maybe that's, you know, Axie and a few others. But Alluvium is probably going to set the stage for what's next in NFT gaming in a lot of ways. Do you feel that pressure? Do you do you think about that at all? We were lucky enough. Our dad was a professional tennis player. And I was actually at the wedding that I was at on the weekend. I uh, stayed with my mom and dad. And I was chatting to them about that. And it we get this... Uh, we get this, I guess, uh, robustness or, or this ability to just take so much damage just over and over and over. You know, things, so many things have happened, like, you know, the, the bear market and we got hacked and all these different things. And, and on top of that, you know, we're, we're really trying to push forward as the, the first AAA interoperable game. But, you know, we... We were all working at our parents' tennis center at like from six years old, right? So serving people over the counter who wanted to, uh, you know, rent courts out, who wanted to buy things, buy rackets and stuff like that. And you've got, you know, this six-year-old who you can't even see over the counter who's like, hey, that's $99, take their money, give them their change. Our phone rings. Our mom was like, if you don't answer that phone in four rings, then you're dead. And so we grew up in this environment where – and then you've got your dad who's like literally a top 20 tennis player who's traveling around the world. He comes back. He enters the picture. He's you know puts a, a ton of pressure on us to, to really be – excellent right like he wanted his kids to perform and be able to set he always used to say i want you to set yourselves up early so i guess that upbringing really allowed us to take on a lot of pressure and we don't really feel it as as much as i guess normal uh <laughs> i say normal people because we're a little bit crazy but uh, but yeah, so it's definitely there. I, I'm not sitting here saying I'm immune to, to pressure and stuff like that. Definitely feel it. But we're on a mission and it, we are relentless when it comes to just performing, right? Like we need to make sure that we make this work. And so while the pressure is, you know, frustrating sometimes, the bigger picture is what we look at, and if we focus on that, the the pressure is is almost just a, a, a just this little thing in the background that doesn't really affect us. Yeah, I like the idea of how, how do you actually just keep focused on the mission, keep on building, and not listen to all the noise. But I have seen a little bit 
you know, uh, like uh, some of your tweets there about the token price and stuff like that. And so obviously you guys have this mission. You guys have this big picture. How do you help your community get there? Because, you know, I've seen responses of like, oh, no, your token price has gone down from, you know, whatever, 1500 to 57 or whatever. And, mm-hmm. and they're so focused on the here and now. Um, so obviously I, I get as a team that you have that. How do you help communicate that to the community who are invested into this project? Firstly, I get it, right? So I had my trading account was not Kieran Warwick. It wasn't Kieran.eth. My 2020 trading account, I will never, ever reveal who that was. And, uh, you know, I built up quite a, a large following because I was this, it was, it was this uh, anonymous person. And that was basically Kane saying, you are crazy. You cannot reveal who you are because you're going to, you know, the, the, the projects you're going into and all that kind of stuff. So from a, a trading and investor standpoint, I get it, right? Like we have delayed the project due to adding scope to it. And that was one of my biggest gripes with a project. The idea is, you know, we've got people that are short-term investors, medium-term investors as well, right, where, yeah, they'll go into a project for 12, 18, 24 months, but there's very few long, long long-term investors. And so I get those short-term and medium-term investors getting pissed off and sending me, you know, messages saying, how dare you, we hate you, and death threats and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, it doesn't change our mission, right? Like we have a 10, 15, 20-year vision here, and if we can pull it off, we will change gaming forever. And so it's, it's while... I feel for those people, and while I totally understand exactly where they're coming from, it doesn't change the journey that we're on. And all we can do is keep on trying to show the community that we're not going anywhere. You know, we work stupid hours. We do, you know, crazy amounts of, uh, of, of work across the entire team. And that's not just the, the founders, you know, that, that stems all the way down. We've gone and hired people that are on this crazy mission with us and they, they see this vision and they want to implement it because they know if it is pulled off, the investors are not going to be worried, but the trouble with that is we're in crypto. You know, it's not exactly, okay, let's invest in Tesla because we know that they're four, you know, products that they're building over, over time are going to be the biggest success of all time. But it is going to take maybe a decade, maybe even two decades, right? We just, we don't have that. So it's all about being as transparent as possible and really communicating to to the investors that we're not going anywhere. We're still building at the same rate, but you just got to hold the line. Yeah, and I think that's something that you guys have done really well. I see Alluvium being super active, whether that's on Twitter or Discord or posting a bunch of videos. On the contrary to some, some NFT games who you know don't even tell us who's on the team, they don't show a demo or anything like that. So why do you guys place such a high value on that transparency? Because of exactly what you just said, right? It's so easy 
there was this trend that came out where Axie had a team of like 12 people, right? And so people thought that it was reasonable that you could build a game and and they did it. Like hats off to them. They did it for a, a short period of time. They had two, three million users and they literally had a dev team of like 12 people, right? Now, you can't do that to build a AAA game. When we came out onto the scene, no one was talking about AAA. In, and in crypto, like it's a it's a very much a gaming term, and it's only used for those games that are going to be the very very biggest throughout the year that that release. And when you've got other teams where you know, right? Like I'm I'm an investor. I invested in sixty seventy products uh, projects last year. I see the team, right? Like I go on to, I, I do the DD. My thing was not about technical analysis. It was all about researching who's behind the project, what's the vision of the team, and can they actually pull it off? And when you've got founders out there that just jump on this bandwagon of, yeah, we're building a AAA and we've got six people in our team and none of them have ever built a game before, it didn't allow us to build in stealth, right? Which which Aaron was like, what are we doing here? Like, you can't be leaking all this stuff. And I'm like, unfortunately, the, the market that we're in doesn't believe that we can go and build a AAA game. And you know why? I don't believe it either, right? In terms of these other projects, uh, they, they don't have experts in their team. They don't have a, a you know, 2,000-page game design document. They don't have 100 people that they've gone and hired from AAA studios. So we need to show that we do have that. Otherwise, we're going to be put in the exact same boat. And that's how we sort of separated our, ourselves from the pack. And it's why I'm so vocal on Twitter and people in the beginning were like, oh, my God, this guy is just such an asshole. He just comes out and... And just and says every other project is terrible. And it wasn't about me saying that projects are terrible. It was trying to protect the retail investor from a founder coming out and saying, we've got this amazing team. And then, you know, all of a sudden you find out, well, okay, they don't. They just raised $40 million on this dream, this pipe dream. And they went and spent $2 million on an outsourced trailer and then said to people, hey, we got a AAA game coming. And they didn't realize that it actually takes a long, long time to recruit people. You need to actually have substance in your game to be able to get AAA developers and artists to come across. And so it was, it was just purely about protecting retail investors from going into these projects that I knew were basically vaporware. I appreciate your guys' transparency, and I think a lot of people do. And you know, I, I think at Balthazar, that's that's our opinion too. Is like we would just rather see the game take their time, even if they have to delay things, to actually make a good quality project because games really do take that long, right? You can't just magically poof, we have a game out of nowhere that's AAA quality, as you said, right? Like, I mean, it's just not possible. No, and and the thing is, we like you can go onto YouTube's the uh, YouTube the the reason NFTs have such a bad name in mainstream is not because NFTs are bad, right? Like NFT, it's because NFT games 
notoriously are not good quality. Gamers are gamers. They don't care about crypto. They don't care about earning. And so when you've got these crazy valuations on games that could have been built in three months using Unity and they would be classed as barely indie, that would piss off gamers, right? Because they're sitting there like, well, you know, was GTA built in six months? No, it took seven years. So, like, put down the crack pipe, guys. Like, stop. Like, and it made us seem stupid. And so I didn't want to. I mean, us, we've got, at one point, I think we had 210 people in the in the Dow, and now we've scaled back a little bit. We had a little bit of bloat, but we've only got 170 people. Now, 170 people building a suite of three AAA games is a very, very bold task, right? And it's something that a Riot or a Ubisoft or an Activision, they're still looking at us and laughing, right? Because it's never been done before at that scale with such a small team. But what they're not factoring in is we don't have juniors. We don't even have medium-level people. We literally only hire experts in their field. And so we're able to, to deliver at that same quality and pace with, uh, with a smaller team. But it's, it's pretty rare, to be honest. Yeah, no, I think it's definitely a difficult task ahead, but it sounds like you guys know what you're doing. And I love to hear a little bit deeper about the team and that philosophy behind it. Uh, I want to move the conversation a little bit away from the investor and uh, buyer point of view and just talk about gamers in general. You mentioned it there just a little bit ago. I'm curious, what is your strategy? A lot of the hot topic, especially here at Balthazar's, how do we actually get Web2 gamers into Web3? Because it seems like Ever since the bear market, we've been stalling. People realize, okay, the, the earnings aren't enough to hook people, especially when those earnings disappear. So walk me through a little bit. How are, how's Alluvium, Alluvium thinking about this? Are they, you know, if you have a player that's never been into NFTs or crypto ever, how are you guys going to bring them into your game? It's interesting. So uh, it's, it's a non-custodial wallet solution. And I, I have a feeling you, you guys know a little bit about that. So essentially, you build in a system where you don't show users NFTs, you don't show users all the crypto jargon that comes with it, like earning and, and, uh, and yield and, and, and staking and stuff like that. You just literally show them, here's a game that is the exact same as a team fight tactics in our case or a pokemon in, in in one of our overworld games or a clash of clans a sim city here's a game that you've loved to play but it's a new game and it's immersive it has really good graphics and at its core it's fun to play that that's it Right, like it's not some crazy magical mystery. It's just make a fun game. The problem with that is, and, and you know, it sounds like, oh, that's so easy. Just make a fun game. It's not. We've, you know, games have been around for fifty years now, and so they are getting better and better and better, more immersive, and we're up against juggernauts in Web two, and so you need to have that quality there first. 
And then we can unleash the secret weapon, which is, hey, you actually own these assets that you've been going around and collecting. And once that hits, once once they are actually playing a game where you don't need a wallet, it's free to play, there's not some bullshit where you need to go and buy $1,000 worth of assets to, to play the game, once all of that is gone and it's just a fun game, then you hit them with, hey, by the way, there's this marketplace over here and you're able to actually go and sell those assets if you don't want to play anymore and maybe you want to move on to another game, that's when the penny will drop and it's like, wait, I can recuperate the money that I just spent on like $99 on a game and in our case, not even $99. We're saying it's completely free. You can earn yourself these tier zero assets and you can build them up, level them up, and get to a point where someone might go, hey, I'll pay you 10, 20, 50 bucks for those assets. When when that becomes clear to to mainstream gamers, that's when we'll get mainstream adoption. Gamers should definitely be excited about one, owning your assets and the potential, even if it's not, hey, everyone's going to become a millionaire because that's just not realistic. At no. least it's something, right? Like in other games, we're not seeing anything. We're not seeing a dime. We're paying, right? And so exactly the, the value proposition yeah. is there. I, I'm curious as you bring gamers in the space and maybe you don't even upfront say, hey, these are NFTs or crypto. Is there a point that you guys as a team have thought about how do we teach people if they want to come in and say, okay, I, now I realize I own these. Do you somehow teach them about how to use NFTs or crypto or have you guys not discovered that yet? So we're, we're talking through it now and it's something that we realized, you know, we, we thought that the adoption of, we kind of drank the Kool-Aid, right, in, as an internal team and we thought there's going to be tens of millions of people that, that come across, but Unfortunately, we are going to be, or unfortunately or fortunately, we are going to be one of the first games to launch that can actually stand on its two feet in, in the mainstream arena, right? And so we're starting to think about now, how do we educate people softly, right? Like play the game first, it's totally free, get in, get addicted to it, start competing, and then... Let the community let join join Discord or join a guild and let them educate you and uh, alongside obviously our customer service and our internal prompts where it's like, hey, you own this now. Do you want to migrate and create a wallet? We will literally have a system inbuilt where it's a one click button where you can then turn those assets into. Uh, NFTs, and then you've got them, you own them. And at that point, are you upset? I don't think so, right? Like, it's it's not a situation where you're going to be like, wow, I just now own these assets. They're potentially valuable on a marketplace where the game literally built. So they want you to sell these assets. They want you to be able to trade those assets. I I just don't see gamers going back from that. I, I, I've been gaming all my life. I can't even tell you how many games I've played. And if I had that ability, I just, I wouldn't go back. I mean, I don't want to go back. <laughs> I want better games to be here, but I don't want to go back to what I was doing, right? 
with uh, Nintendo 100%. or anything else there. Uh, so talking about mainstream gaming, I'm curious to hear your guys' thoughts. Uh, one of the biggest debates I, I think I've seen in this space is a lot of people from the outside looking in have said, oh, all these NFT games, all these play to earn games are really just pay to win if you think about it. And, you know, if you think about a, a similar game like TFT or, or Dota Auto Chess, you come into the game, everyone's in the same scenario, right? There's no way to buy a, a certain character that's better than the others. There's no way to collect a character and raise it up. How is Alluvium thinking about these things with NFTs raising the levels? You guys got enhancements. Uh, are you guys thinking about that pay to win aspect? How do you guys think and frame that for the sake of tournaments or esports? Yeah, so our our ranked mode is where you literally it, all the stats are equalized. So we want to we want to literally have a, a very compelling esports tournament space where you take these assets in and yes you need to either collect them or purchase them but when you go into this ranked arena every stat is equalized so it's not a situation and the other thing that we don't do is we don't sell nfts in the overworld like you you can't buy a ram fire right now the only way you can buy a ram fire is off someone who has gone through the entire process everyone starts off on an equal playing field and you go out into the overworld and you need to build yourself up from tier zero to tier ones to tier twos to tier threes all the way up and eventually someone will get that ram fire and the other you know 15, 20 tier five alluvials that are out there. But you have to buy it off someone who has spent countless hours grinding to get it. And so that's that's the first thing where it's a it's a fair launch is what we're calling it, where you can't just go and become a whale and just ruin the balance of the game. But even if you did, you don't have and let's say you've got super amounts of money and you just want to buy the best the highest stats alluvials when you go into our competition mode our ranked arena that doesn't count right the stats are all equalized and it's just about who is a better player and that's it now because it is crypto there is another arena which is the leviathan arena and that's where if you do want to go and uh, go up against other whales out there who have millions of dollars and want to buy these assets that's when yeah the stats do count you might have two of the exact same team compositions that are up against each other but one stats are way higher than the other and the chance of you beating that person is very very low but you can choose in our game interesting so if i'm understanding this right you have two different paths one is hey everyone's gonna have the same stats play in the same esport tournament and the motivation, though, to still level up your own alluvials is there because we're going to have this other arena where it does matter. Am I understanding that right? Correct. Yeah. Okay, cool. That, that makes sense. I think that's a really important thing because I think a, a lot of the other games that we've been seeing, it, it's like, okay, you want to run tournaments, you want to talk about esports, you want to develop these scenes. But if it's just a, a wallet slapping contest, as I call it, what's the point? Why would I want to watch that esport, right? No, it's like that's not – imagine if you played poker and one guy got to start with an ace every single time. You know, it would just right. – it, it would be bullshit, right? Like it, it wouldn't be a fun game. And so everything needs to, to be equal, and that's the way that you keep it sustainable as well. 
Yeah, I like that concept. I like what you guys are doing there. Uh, just a couple of last questions that I'm curious about. One of the things that I've seen now, a lot of people, especially talking about now that Splinterlands, one of the bigger earlier games of Play to Earn, has released some of their early governance proposals of, hey, the community can actually use their governance token to vote on these things and shape the game. I'm curious to hear from your guys' point of view, because one thing I saw when I was reading the Balthazar report is you guys have a a pretty unique system from what I've seen. I haven't really seen anyone else take on this system of having different nominees, this council idea, and then also voting being quadratic rather than just equally weighted. I'm just kind of at a high level curious to pick your brain. How did the team land on this type of governance? Uh, we stole it from Synthetics, our, our brother's protocol. It's literally their governance model. We're in the process of which you know, retrofitting that governance model to a game in hindsight probably wasn't the most optimized model that that we could have gone with, but uh, which is why we're building our governance V2, which is, you know, a a, a much more in-depth, it's it's more akin to having governors or, or, or smaller councils that are voting on things that that they're experts in, right? So, the but the community, the whole the whole point of it is the community gets the power to decide the direction that we go in. You know, my brother Aaron, he he always mentions this joke about, hey, what if uh, what if the council decide for us to start creating a dating simulator or, or something like that? And I'm like. It's it's not going to get that far, right? Like we have a very detailed white paper that outlines our objectives. The idea of the you know the the council, which is voted in by the community, is keep us within the rails, right? Like if there's something that we do, or if there's something that we miss, having two hundred thousand people in a community that vote to to have these. Uh, council members makes it a much, much, you you get much more coverage, right? And we've had probably 20 proposals now. I think five or six have come from the team. The rest have been ideas that the community has put forth. And just having that ability to tap into so many different minds that are out there that are really invested in the project helps us. So it's a scary concept at the start, but in reality, it's been quite successful, I would say. I'm curious to hear, as you guys have launched and done a couple of proposals already, part of the debate I heard in Splinterlands being more in that, involved in that game, at least currently, was you got players over here saying, what's the point of my vote? Really, all the whales have all the tokens anyway, so it's just a whale battle versus the whales saying, well, if you don't give us an equal vote to what we've purchased, why would we purchase this many governance tokens, right? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. how do you think about that balance and how does that system maybe differ in your guys' case? Well, the, the, as you touched on, the quadratic voting solves a lot of those issues, but at the same time, we only have five council members right now and we're, the, the governance V2 model breaks that down into roughly 20 to 25 and it's not fully ironed out yet, but it essentially allows us to vote in more of the community. So there's 
there's there's more coverage from from people and they have more of a say on what goes on. Now, in terms of the quadratic voting, we think that's just a fairer system, right? Like whales are going to be whales. If we let whales dictate our governance system in a way that they could just buy up the token and then literally make us start creating a dating sim, that would derail the project. And and so we can't give people the power to, to do things like that. Like I'm the largest ILV holder. If I decided to go rogue for whatever reason, and, and I'm probably a bad example because it's never going to happen, but we've got guys that you know, let's say, let's say Kane, for example, let's say I did something absolutely horrific to that guy. He was our first investor. He was our largest uh, pre-seed investor. And he's probably the eighth or ninth holder. And while he's my brother, they're, you know, crazier things have happened in the world. And if he went rogue and started saying, I want to derail this project, if we didn't have quadratic voting, he could do some damage. And so it's it's a protective mechanism for the the smaller community holders that have ILV to say we're not going to allow whales to dictate what's happening here. The idea is we want consensus across the community, and you can only do that if you give people uh, as equal voting power as possible. Obviously, you can't take away everything and say that it's it's per wallet or, or something like that. But quadratic voting solves a lot of those issues. Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense. And I'm curious to see how that plays out over time. And, and maybe if even other games start adopting a similar model, because it's working out for Alluvium, that'd be a cool thing. Uh, last question, I just want to ask a little bit about the chain. I saw you guys talk about Immutable X for your NFTs. And I'm curious, what was the choice there over some of the other options that you guys have? And do you think Immutable X, it seems like they're they're growing a lot here. Do you think this is going to be one of those leading chains for games specifically? Yeah, and we, we're helping them with that growth. You know, I'm uh, an advisor to, to those guys. I we They're down the road from us, and they're really, really good guys, right? They, they're, the first thing that we liked about them is they built Gods Unchained. So they, they were... In the trenches, they were there back five, six years ago when NFT gaming first came out, and they knew all of the issues that they ran into in terms of scaling and throughput and you know security and, and stuff like that. So we, but at the same time, Aaron and uh, Johnny, our CTO, they were, you know, they're, they're not going to do something without a bunch of research, right? It's, and, and so we looked at so many different options out there. And finally, we, we landed on it was it was basically going to be uh, either ZK sync, or immutable. And the reason is we didn't want to go to any other chain, we think, you know, compromising security would be the stupidest thing we could do, right? Like we're building a game. We're not building an investment protocol or, or anything like that. So as long as we could get to scalability, as long as we could have gasless transactions and that experience where 
you don't even know that you're playing a crypto game. We wanted to do that backed by the most secure chain we could, which is Ethereum. On top of that, you've got the most amount of developers that are building on Ethereum. And yes, there were you know, side chains popping up and there's Polygon, there's Solana, there's, there's all these other options. But for us, security was paramount and we knew that Immutable, we had a pretty crazy game design. Right? Like they looked at it and they were like, okay, there's a, there's a lot of elements here. There's a lot of complexity here. And their devs have worked extremely close with us throughout this entire process. And now we're doing a whole, oh, not now, we, you know, for the last six months, we've been doing a whole bunch of testing. We ran our land sale on, uh, on we did a bit of a hybrid where we, we ran it on layer one and we minted on layer two in Immutable. And the benefits of that, if you look at what, uh, Bored Apes did, there was, what, 350, 400 million in gas that was spent. In our case, we had, I think it was something like 200,000 in gas fees was spent, and we raised 73 million, they raised 350 million. So the benefits of going with Immutable and them working with us, like at that time, they were like, we can't do Dutch auctions, we can't mint, like, but they worked with us. And so, yeah, we just, we, we, we think they're a great team. And as I said, I recommend every single game that I speak to, to, you know, I, I think they're going to win the race in, in terms of layer twos for, for gaming anyway. Sure. Yeah. I, I love to hear your explanation there for, so thank you for sharing that. Cause it is an interesting thing just to hear from every game of what game they're you know, putting on what chain and it does definitely seem like a race between chains right now to try to get as many games and, and the best games on that they can. So uh, I'm curious as well, moving forward, if immutable will be that winner. Uh, but as we wrap up today, Kieran, just want to say thank you so much for being here. Uh, I'm excited for Balthazar and Alluvium to potentially continue to partner together. I know we talked a lot about uh, things, maybe not within the game itself, because I think so many people are already excited for the game and, and know tons mm -hmm. about it. But any last thing you want to shout out about the game, any announcements or any fun things that might excite people to check out Alluvium? We've got a whole bunch of... Uh, so Alluvium Zero is coming out really, really soon. Uh, the Overworld Beta is coming out really, really soon. So if you're getting excited, if you want to see the first AAA game that has real gameplay where you can get in and, and actually play a fun game, it's not connected to the chain yet, but if you're a gamer and you want to play a fun game out of one of the genres that we have, join our Discord, go onto the website, register for the betas, and, uh, and yeah, hopefully you get in, and we'd love to see your feedback. Awesome. I mean, I'll be right there playing it, so you guys can expect some feedback from me. Uh, and if anyone, if anyone hasn't checked out Alluvium, we'll drop all the social links and stuff below in this episode on YouTube or if you're listening on podcast platforms. But thank you guys for tuning in. Kieran, thank you so much, and maybe we'll see you again later down the road. 100%. Thanks so much, Luke. Appreciate it. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in today and listening to Kieran from Alluvium. If you want to go check out Alluvium, all the social links will be in the description below. And don't forget, you can always jump over to Balthazar's website to read more about Alluvium and check out some of the other resources we have going on as well, including some upcoming launch pad launches. 
For now, that's it. So if you're watching on YouTube, jump over to the, one of these other videos around me. I'll see you there. And if you're on our podcast, stay tuned for the next episode. Thank you, gracias, and salamat for tuning in.